Chapter fourteen of Sixty Years in Southern California, eighteen fifty three to nineteen thirteen, by Harris Newmark. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter fourteen Orchards and Vineyards, eighteen fifty six. During eighteen fifty six, I dissolved with my partners, Rich and Laventhal, and went into business with my uncle, Joseph Newmark, J. P. Newmark, and Maurice Kramer under the title of Newmark, Kramer, and Company. Instead of a quasi-wholesale business, we now had a larger assortment and did more of a retail business. We occupied a room about forty by eighty feet in size in the Mascarelle and Berry block on the south side of Commercial Street, then known as Commercial Row, between Main and Los Angeles streets, our modest establishment being almost directly opposite the contracted quarters of my first store and having the largest single storeroom then in the city and there we continued with moderate success until eighteen fifty eight to make this new partnership possible kramer had sold out his interest in the firm of lazard and kramer dry goods merchants the readjustment providing an amusing illustration of the manner in which the business with its almost entire lack of specialization was then conducted when the stock was taken a large part of it consisted not of dry goods as one might well suppose but of cigars and tobacco about the beginning of eighteen fifty six sisters of charity made their first appearance in los angeles following a meeting called by bishop amott during the preceding month to provide for their coming when abel stearns presided and john g downey acted as secretary benjamin hayes thomas foster ezra drown louis vignes ignacio de valle and antonio coronel cooperated while manuel raquena collected the necessary funds on january fifth sisters maria scholastica maria corzina anna clara francisca and angela arrived three of them coming almost directly from spain and immediately they formed an important adjunct to the church in matters pertaining to religion charity and education it was to them that b d wilson sold his los angeles home including ten acres of fine orchard at the corner of alameda and macy streets for eight thousand dollars and there for many years they conducted their school the institute and orphan asylum until they sold the property to j m griffith who used the site for a lumber yard griffith in turn disposed of it to the southern pacific railroad company sister scholastica who celebrated in 1889 her fiftieth anniversary as a sister, was long the mother superior. The so-called first public school having met with popular approval, the Board of Education in 1856 opened another school on Bath Street. The building, two stories in height, was of brick and had two rooms. On January 9th, John P. Brody assumed charge of the Southern Californian. Andres Pico was then proprietor, and before the newspaper died in 1857, Pico lost, it is said, $10,000 in the venture. The first regular course of public lectures here was given in 1856 under the auspices of a society known as the Mechanics Institute, and in one of Henry Dalton's corrugated iron buildings. George T. Burrill, first county sheriff, died on February 2nd, his demise bringing to mind an interesting story. He was sheriff in the summer of 1850, when certain members of the infamous Irving party were arraigned for murder, and during that time received private word that many of the prisoners' friends would pack the little courtroom and attempt a rescue. Burrell, however, who used to wear a sword and had a rather soldierly bearing, was equal to the emergency. 
he quickly sent to major e h fitzgerald and had the latter come post haste to town and court with a detachment of soldiers and with this superior disciplined force he overawed the bandits compañeros who sure enough were there and fully armed to make a demonstration thomas e rowan arrived here with his father james rowan in eighteen fifty six and together they opened a bakery tom delivered the bread for a short time but soon abandoned that pursuit for politics being frequently elected to office serving in turn as supervisor city and county treasurer and even from eighteen ninety three to eighteen ninety four as mayor of los angeles shortly before tom married miss josephine meyerhofer in san francisco in eighteen sixty two and a handsome couple they made the rowans bought from louis mesmer the american bakery located at the southwest corner of main and first streets and originally established by august ulyard when james rowan died about forty years ago tom fell heir to the bakery but as he was otherwise engaged he employed maurice mauricio as manager and p golta afterward a prosperous business man of bakersfield as driver tom who died in eighteen ninety nine was also associated as cashier with i w hellman and f p f temple in their bank rowan avenue and rowan street were both named after this early comer the time for the return of my brother and his european bride now approached and i felt a natural desire to meet them almost coincident therefore with their arrival in san francisco i was again in that growing city in eighteen fifty six although i had been there but the year previous on april ninth occurred the marriage of matilda daughter of joseph newmark to maurice kramer the ceremony was performed by the bride's father for the subsequent festivities ice from which ice cream was made was brought from san bernardino both luxuries on this occasion being used in los angeles as far as i can remember for the first time to return to the los angeles star when j s waite became postmaster in eighteen fifty five he found it no sinecure to continue even such an unpretentious and in all likelihood unprofitable news sheet and at the same time attend to uncle sam's mail-bags and early in eighteen fifty six he offered the entire establishment at one thousand dollars less than cost business was so slow at that time in fact that wait after perhaps ruefully looking over his unpaid subscriptions announced that he would take wood butter eggs flour wheat or corn in payment of bills due he soon found a ready customer in william a wallace the principal of the boys school who on the twelfth of april bought the paper but waite's disgust was nothing to that of the school-teacher who after two short months trial with the editorial quill scribbled a last doleful adios the flush times of the pueblo the day of large prices and pocket-books are past wallace declared and before him the editor saw only picayunes bad liquor rags and universal dullness when neither pistol-shots nor dying groans could have any effect and when earthquakes would hardly turn men in their beds nothing was left for such a destitute and discouraged quillman but to wait for a carreta and get out of town wallace sold the paper therefore in june eighteen fifty six to henry hamilton a native of ireland who had come to california in eighteen forty eight an apprenticed printer and was for some years in newspaper work in san francisco and hamilton soon put new life into the journal in eighteen fifty six the many-sided dr william b osborne organized a company to bore an artesian well west of the city but when it reached a depth of over seven hundred feet the prospectors went into bankruptcy george layman early known as george the baker whose shop at one time was on the site of the hayward hotel 
was a somewhat original and very popular character who in eighteen fifty six took over the round house on main street between third and fourth and there opened a pleasure resort extending to spring street and known as the garden of paradise the grounds really occupied on the one hand what are now the sites of the pridham the pinney and the turnverine and on the other the henny the breed and the lancashire blocks there was an entrance on main street and one with two picket gates on spring from the general shape and appearance of the building it was always one of the first objects in town to attract attention and layman who when he appeared on the street had a crooked cane hanging in his arm and a lemon in his hand came to be known as roundhouse george the house had been erected in the late forties by raimundo generally called ramon or raymond alexander a sailor who asserted that the design was a copy of a structure he had once seen on the coast of africa and there ramon and his native california wife had lived for many years partly because he wished to cover the exterior with vines and flowers layman nailed boards over the outer adobe walls and thus changed the cylinder form into that of an octagon an ingenious arrangement of the parterre and a particular distribution of some trees together with a profusion of plants and flowers affording cool and shady bowers somewhat similar to those of a typical beer or wine garden in the fatherland gave the place great popularity while two heroic statues one of adam and the other of eve with a conglomeration of other curiosities including the apple tree and the serpent all illustrating the old world story of eden and a moving panorama made the garden unique and rather famous the balcony of the house provided accommodation for the playing of such music perhaps discordant as los angeles could then produce and nearby was a framework containing a kind of swing then popular known as flying horses the bar was in the garden near a well sweep and at the main street entrance stood a majestic and noted cactus tree which was cut down in eighteen eighty six the garden of paradise was opened toward the end of september eighteen fifty eight and so large were the grounds that when they were used in eighteen seventy six for the fourth of july celebration twenty six hundred people were seated there this leads me to say that arthur mackenzie dodson who established a coal and wood yard at what was later the corner of spring and sixth streets started there a little community which he called georgetown as a compliment it was said to the famous roundhouse george whose bakery i have remarked was located on that corner on june seventh dr john s griffin who had an old-fashioned classical education and was a graduate in medicine of the university of pennsylvania succeeded dr william b osborne as superintendent of the los angeles city schools in these times of modern irrigation and scientific methods it is hard to realize how disastrous were climactic extremes in an earlier day in eighteen fifty six a single electric disturbance accompanied by intense heat and sandstorms left tens of thousands of dead cattle to tell the story of drought and destruction during the summer i had occasion to go to fort tejon to see george c alexander a customer and i again asked sam meyer if he would accompany me such a proposition was always agreeable to sam and having procured horses we started the distance being about one hundred and fifteen miles we left los angeles early one afternoon and made our first stop at license station where we put up for the night one of the brothers after whom the place was named prepared supper having to draw some thick black strap from a keg he used a pitcher to catch the treacle and as the liquid ran very slowly our sociable host sat down to talk a bit and soon forgot all about what he had started to do the molasses however although it ran pretty slowly ran steadily 
and finally like the mush in the fairy tale of the enchanted bowl overflowed the top of the receptacle and spread itself over the dirt floor when lyons had finished his chat he saw to his intense chagrin a new job upon his hands and one likely to busy him for some time departing next morning at five o'clock we met cy lyons who had come to los angeles in eighteen forty nine and was then engaged with his brother sanford in raising sheep in that neighborhood cy was on horseback and had two pack animals loaded with provisions hello boys where are you bound he asked and when we told him that we were on our way to fort tejon he said that he was also going there and volunteered to save us forty miles by guiding us over the trail such a shortening of our journey appealed to us as a good prospect and we fell in behind the mounted guide it was one of those red-hot summer days characteristic of that region and season and in a couple hours we began to get very thirsty noticing this cy told us that no water would be found until we got to the rancho de la libre and that we could not possibly reach there until evening having no bota de agua handy i took an onion from lion's pack and ate it and that afforded me some relief but sam whose decisions were always as lasting as the fragrance of that aromatic bulb would not try the experiment to make a long story short when we at last reached the ranch sam completely fagged out and unable to alight from his horse toppled off into our arms the chewing of the onion had refreshed me to some extent but just the same the day's journey proved one of the most miserable experiences through which i have ever passed the night was so hot at the ranch that we decided to sleep outdoors in one of the wagons and being worn out with the day's exposure and fatigue we soon fell asleep the soundness of our slumbers did not prevent us from hearing in the middle of the night a snarling bear scratching in the immediate neighborhood a bear generally means business and you may depend upon it that neither sam myself nor even cy were very long in bundling out of the wagon and making a dash for the more protecting house early next morning we recommenced our journey toward fort tejon and reached there without any further adventures worth relating coming back we stopped for the night at gordon's station and the next day rolled fully seventy miles not so inconsiderable an accomplishment perhaps for those not accustomed to regular saddle exercise a few months later i met cy on the street harris said he do you know that once on that hot day going to fort tejon we were within three hundred feet of a fine cool spring then why in the devil i retorted didn't you take us to it to which cy with a chuckle answered well i just wanted to see what would happen to you my first experience with camp meetings was in the year eighteen fifty six when i attended one in company with miss sarah newmark to whom i was then engaged and miss harriet her sister later mrs eugene meyer i engaged a buggy from george carson's livery stable on main street and we rode to ira thompson's grove at el monte in which the meeting was held these camp meetings supplied a certain amount of social attraction to residents in that good-hearted period when creeds formed a bond rather than a hindrance it was in eighteen fifty six that in connection with our regular business we began buying hides one day a mexican customer came into the store looking around and said compra cueros do you buy hides si sí, senor i replied to which he then said tengo muchos en mi rancho i have many at my ranch where do you live i asked between cahuenga and san fernando mission he answered he had come to town in his carreta and added that he would conduct me to his place if i wished to go there i obtained a wagon and accompanied by samuel cohn went with the mexican the native jogged on carreta fashion 
the oxen lazily plodding along, while the driver with his ubiquitous pole kept them in the road by means of continual and effective prods, delivered first on one side, then on the other. It was dark when we reached the ranch, and the night being balmy, we wrapped ourselves up in blankets and slept under the adobe veranda. Early in the morning I awoke and took a survey of the premises. To my amazement I saw but one little kipskin hanging up to dry. When at length my Mexican friend appeared on the scene, I asked him where he kept his hides. Donde tiene usted los cueros? At which he pointed to the lone kip, and with a characteristic and perfectly indifferent shrug of the shoulders said, No tengo mas. I have no more. I then deliberated with Sam as to what we should do, and having proceeded to San Fernando Mission to collect there, if possible, a load of hides, we were soon fortunate in obtaining enough to compensate us for our previous trouble and disappointment. On the way home we came to a rather deep ditch preventing further progress. Being obliged, however, to get to the other side, we decided to throw the hides into the ditch, placing one on top of the other, until the obstructing gap was filled to a level with the road and then we drove across, if not on dry land, at least on dry hides, which we reloaded into the wagon. Finally, we reached town at a late hour. In this connection I may remind the reader of Dana's statement in his celebrated two years before the mast, that San Pedro once furnished more hides than any other port on the coast, and may add that from the same port, more than forty years afterward, consignments of this valuable commodity were still being made, I myself being engaged more and more extensively in the hide trade. Colonel Isaac Williams died on September 13th, having been a resident of Los Angeles and vicinity nearly a quarter of a century. A Pennsylvanian by birth, he had with him in the West a brother, Hiram, later of San Bernardino County. Happy as was most of Colonel Williams's life, tragedy entered his family circle, as I shall show, when both of his sons-in-law, John Raines and Robert Carlyle, met violent deaths at the hands of others. Jean-Louis Vignet came to Los Angeles in 1829 and set out the Aliso Vineyard of 104 acres which derived its name, as did the street, from a previous and incorrect application of the Castilian Aliso, meaning alder, to the sycamore tree, a big specimen of which stood on the place. This tree, possibly a couple of hundred years old, long shaded Vignet's wine cellars and was finally cut down a few years ago to make room for the Philadelphia brew house. From a spot about fifty feet away from the Vignes adobe extended a grape arbor, perhaps ten feet in width and fully a quarter of a mile long, thus reaching to the river, and this arbor was associated with many of the early celebrations in Los Angeles. The northern boundary of the property was Aliso Street, its western boundary was Alameda, and part of it was surrounded by a high adobe wall, inside of which, during the troubles of the Mexican War, Don Luis enjoyed a far safer seclusion than many others. On June 7, 1851, Vignes advertised El Aliso for sale, but it was not subdivided until much later, when Eugene Meyer and his associates bought it for this purpose. Vignes Street recalls the veteran viticulturist. While upon the subject of this substantial old pioneer family, I may give a rather interesting reminiscence as to the state of Aliso Street at this time. I have said that this street was the main road from Los Angeles to the San Bernardino country, and so it was. But in the fifties, Aliso Street stopped very abruptly at the San Savane Vineyard, where it narrowed down to one of the willow-bordered, picturesque little lanes so frequently found here, and paralleled the noted grape arbor as far as the river bank. At this point, Andrew Boyle and other residents of the Heights and beyond were wont to cross the stream on their way to and from town. 
the more important travel was by means of another lane known as the aliso road turning at a corner occupied by the old aliso mill and winding along the hoover vineyard to the river along this route the san bernardino stage rolled noisily traversing in summer or during a poor season what was almost a dry wash but encountering in wet winter raging torrents so impassable that all intercourse with the settlements to the east was disturbed for a whole week on several occasions the san bernardino stage was tied up and once at least andrew boyle before he had become conversant with the vagaries of the los angeles river found it impossible for the better part of a fortnight to come to town for the replenishment of a badly depleted larder lover's lane willowed and deep with dust was a narrow road now variously located in the minds of pioneers my impression being that it followed the line of the present date street although some insist that it was the macy pierre sansevain a nephew of vignes came in eighteen thirty nine and for a while worked with his uncle jean-louis sansevain and another nephew arrived in los angeles in eighteen forty nine or soon after and on april fourteenth eighteen fifty five purchased for forty two thousand dollars the vineyard cellars and other property of his uncle this was the same year in which he returned to france for his son michael and remarried leaving another son paul in school there pierre joined his brother and in eighteen fifty seven sansevain brothers made the first california champagne first shipping their wine to san francisco paul now a resident of san diego came to los angeles in eighteen sixty one the name endures in sansevain street the activity of these frenchmen reminds me that much usually characteristic of country life was present in what was called the city of los angeles when i first saw it as may be gathered from the fact that in eighteen fifty three there were a hundred or more vineyards hereabouts seventy-five or eighty of which were within the city precincts these did not include the once famous mother vineyard of san gabriel mission which the padres used to claim had about fifty thousand vines but which had fallen into somewhat picturesque decay near san gabriel however in eighteen fifty five william m stockton had a large vineyard nursery william wolfskill was one of the leading vineyardists having set out his first vine so it was said in eighteen thirty eight when he affirmed his belief that the plant if well cared for would flourish a hundred years don jose serrano from whom dr leon's hoover bought many of the grapes he needed did have vines it was declared that were nearly a century old when i first passed through san francisco en route to los angeles i saw grapes from this section in the markets of that city bringing twenty cents a pound and to such an extent for a while did san francisco continue to draw on los angeles for grapes that banning shipped thither from san pedro in eighteen fifty seven no less than twenty one thousand crates averaging forty five pounds each it was not long however before ranches near san francisco began to interfere with this monopoly of the south and as a consequence the shipment of grapes from los angeles fell off this reminds me that william wolfskill sent to san francisco some of the first northern grapes sold there they were grown in a napa valley vineyard that he owned in the middle of the fifties and when unloaded on the long wharf three or four weeks in advance of los angeles grapes brought at wholesale twenty five dollars per hundredweight with the decline in fresh fruit trade however the making and exportation of wine increased and several who had not ventured into vineyarding before now did so acquiring their own land or an interest in the establishments of others by eighteen fifty seven jean-louis vignet boasted of possessing some white wine twenty years old possibly of the same vintage about which dr griffin often talked in his reminiscences of the days when he had been an army surgeon 
and Louis Wilhart occasionally sold wine which was little inferior to that of Jean-Louis. Dr. Hoover was one of the first to make wine for the general market, having for a while a pretty and well-situated place called the Clayton Vineyard, and old Joseph Huber, who had come to California from Kentucky for his health, began in 1855 to make wine with considerable success. He owned the Foster Vineyard, where he died in July 1866. B. D. Wilson was also soon shipping wine to San Francisco. J. L. Rose, who first entered the field in January 1861 at Sunny Slope, not far from San Gabriel Mission, was another producer and had vineyard famous for brandy and wine. He made a departure in going to the foothills and introduced many varieties of foreign grapes. By the same year, or somewhat previously, Matthew Keller, Stearns and Bell, Dr. Thomas J. White, Dr. Parrott, Kiln Messer, Henry Dalton, H. D. Barrows, Juan Bernard, and Ricardo Vejar had wineries, and John Shoemaker had a vineyard opposite the site of the city gardens in the late seventies. L. H. Titus, in time, had a vineyard known as the Dewdrop, near that of Rose. Still another wine producer was Antonio Maria Lugo, who set out his vines on San Pedro Street, near the present second, and often dwelt in the long adobe house where both Steve Foster, Lugo's son-in-law, and Mrs. Wallace Woodworth lived, and where I have been many times pleasantly entertained. Dr. Leons Hoover, who died on October 8, 1862, was a native of Switzerland and formerly a surgeon in the army of Napoleon when his name, later changed at the time of naturalization, had been Huber. Dr. Hoover, in 1849, came to Los Angeles with his wife, his son, Vincent A. Hoover, then a young man, and two daughters, the whole family traveling by ox team and prairie schooner. They soon discovered rich placer gold beds, but were driven away by hostile Indians. A daughter, Mary A., became the wife of Samuel Briggs, a New Hampshire Yankee, who was for years Wells Fargo's agent here. For a while the Hoovers lived on the Wolfskill Ranch, after which they had a vineyard in the neighborhood of what is now the property of the Cuddy Packing Company. Vincent Hoover was a man of prominence in his time. He died in 1883. Mrs. Briggs, whose daughter married the well-known physician Dr. Granville McGowan, sold her home, on Broadway between 3rd and 4th Streets, to Homer Laughlin when he erected the Laughlin Building. Hoover Street is named for this family. Accompanied by his son, William, Joseph Huber, Sr., in 1855, came to Los Angeles from Kentucky, hoping to improve his health, and when the other members of his family, consisting of his wife and children, Caroline, Emmeline, Edward, and Joseph, followed him here, in 1859, by way of New York and the Isthmus, they found him settled as a vineyardist, occupying the foster property running from Alameda Street to the river, in a section between Second and Sixth Streets. The advent of a group of young people so well qualified to add to what has truthfully been described by old-time Angelenos as our family circle was hailed with a great deal of interest and satisfaction. In time, Miss Emmeline Huber was married to O. W. Childs, and Miss Caroline was wedded to Dr. Frederick Preston Howard, a druggist who, more than forty years ago, bought out Theodore Wallweber, selling the business back to the latter a few years later. The prominence of this family made it comparatively easy for Joseph Huber, Jr., in 1865, to secure the nomination and be elected county treasurer, succeeding M. Kramer, who had served six years. Huber, Sr. died about the middle sixties. Mrs. Huber lived to be eighty-three years old. 
jose de rubio had at least two vineyards when i came one on alameda street south of wolfskills and not far from coronel's and one on the east side of the river rubio came here very early in the century after having married juana a daughter of juan maria Miron, a well-known sea captain and built three adobe houses the first of these was on the site of the present home of william h workman on boyle heights the second was near what was later the corner of alameda and eighth streets and the third was on alameda street near the present vernon avenue one of his ranches was known as rubio's and there many a barbecue was celebrated in eighteen fifty nine rubio leased the sepulveda landing at san pedro and commenced to haul freight to and fro senor and senora rubio footnote senora rubio survived her husband many years dying on october twenty seventh nineteen fourteen at the age of one hundred and seven after residing in los angeles ninety four years End footnote. had twenty five children of whom five are now living another los angeles vineyardist who lived near the river when i came was a frenchman named clemente julius wise also had a vineyard living on what is now eighth street near san pedro a son h g wise has distinguished himself as an attorney and has served in the legislature another otto g married the widow of edward naud while a third son rudolph g married a daughter of h d barrows the reyes family was prominent here a daughter married william nordholt isidro had a vineyard on washington street and during one of the epidemics he died of smallpox his brother pablo was a rancher while on the subject of vineyards i may describe the method by which wine was made here in the early days and the part taken in the industry by the indians who always interested and astounded me stripped to the skin and wearing only loin-cloths they tramped with ceaseless tread from morn till night pressing from the luscious fruit of the vineyard the juice so soon to ferment into wine the grapes were placed in elevated vats from which the liquid ran into other connecting vessels and the process exhaled a stale acidity scenting the surrounding air these indians were employed in the early fall the season of the year when wine is made and when the thermometer as a rule in southern california reaches its highest point and this temperature coupled with incessant toil caused the perspiration to drip from their swarthy bodies into the wine product the sight of which in no wise increased my appetite for california wine a staple article of food for the indians in eighteen fifty six by the way was the acorn the crop that year however was very short and streams having also failed in many instances to yield the food usually taken from them the tribes were in a distressed condition such were the aborigines straits in fact that rancheros were warned of the danger then greater than ever from indian depredations on stock in telling of the sisters of charity i have forgotten to add that after settling here they sent to new york for a portable house which they shipped to los angeles by way of cape horn in due time the cows arrived but imagine their vexation on discovering that although the parts were supposed to have been marked so that they might easily be joined together no one here could do the work in the end the sisters were compelled to send east for a carpenter who after a long interval arrived and finished the house soon after the organization of a masonic lodge here in eighteen fifty four many of my friends joined and among them my brother j p newmark who was admitted on february twenty sixth eighteen fifty five on which occasion j h stewart was a secretary and through their participation in the celebration of st john's day the twenty fourth of june i was seized with a desire to join the order this i did at the end of eighteen fifty six becoming a member of los angeles lodge number forty two whose meetings were held over potter's store on main street 
worshipful master thomas foster initiated me and on january twenty second eighteen fifty seven worshipful master jacob elias officiating i took the third degree i am therefore in all probability the oldest living member of this now venerable masonic organization End of chapter 14